The world has need of them, those who stand upon the bridge, who know the pain in the singing of a bird, and the beauty beyond a flower dying, who have heard the crystal harmony within the silence of a snow-peaked mountain. For who but they can bring life's meaning to the living dead? Oh, the world needs those standing on the bridge, for they know how eternity reaches to earth in the wind that brings music to the leaves, of the forest, in the drops of rain that caress the sleeping life of the desert, in the sunbeams of the first spring day in an alpine meadow. Only they can blow the dust from the seeing eyes of those who are blind. Yet pity them, those who stand on the bridge, for they, having known utter peace, are moved by an ancient compassion to reach back to those who cry out from a world which has lost its meaning, a world where the atom, the clay of the sculptor, is torn apart in the name of science for the destruction of love. And so they stand there on the bridge, torn by the anguish of free will, yearning with unshed tears to go back, to return, to the starlight of their beginnings, to the utter peace of the unfleshed spirit. Yet only they can whisper songs of love to those who struggle, helpless toward light. Oh, let them not desert us, those on the bridge, those who have known love in the freedom of the night sky and know the meaning of the moon's existence beyond man's fumbling footsteps into space. For they know the eternal power that encompasses life's beginnings and gathers up its endings and lays them, like Joseph's coat, on the never-changing, always-moving canvas that stretches beyond the universe and is contained in the eye of a little frog. That's a poem called Only They Can Whisper Songs of Hope, directly from Jane Goodall's book, Reason for Hope. As you know, we've been reading Reason for Hope, and we've finished. And so on this new episode here, we're going to be opening up this book, talking a bit about it, and really opening up the idea of compassion and communication and our connection to spirituality in this world of society and science. And I'm very excited to dig in. So let's do that on this episode two of the Sustainable Culture Book Club, Reason for Hope. Hi there, I'm Jet. I'm Bree. And welcome back to the Sustainable Culture Book Club on the podcast here. We're pretty excited because we've finished Reason for Hope. Super good. Yay! <laughs> and uh, I hope you guys did too. Um, it's, I had a great experience. I'll admit, I have to admit, and and we've. I don't know if Bree wants to admit anything and, and make any confessions, but I definitely had a hard time reading this book after reading the first half not because the book was bad at all because the book was amazing the book's amazing amazing i will read it again it's a rereader officially Absolutely. but i procrastinated really <laughs> i had to read i had to read i had to read half of the book in two days because I sucked. <laughs> it's a quick read though. So, but you started a new job and I went back to work full time. And so oh, like true. right yeah. in the middle of all of this and then the world exploded. So, <laughs> and then the world exploded. It's still in explosion phase. Yes. Currently, which is, you know, that. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so you had, I, so you had a similar experience. I had a similar experience and I mean, heck, this is the second time I read it, but like the second half, like, after she starts talking about, like, animal rights, I, life just, like, hit me like a freight train. Oh. Like, everything that happened, and then I am still, like, catching up with all of the clients who I had to reschedule in during the COVID thing, so I'm working, like, overtime full-time, and so I'd be working Dang. from, like... Are you doing, like, more than five days a week? Uh, there were some weeks where it was, like, six days a week, and that job is so physical, and I was so wiped by the time I was done. I'm just like, I'm gonna go directly to bed. 
Yeah. And then lather, rinse, repeat the next day until it was Groundhog Day all over again, but in a different kind of way. So I'm hoping for more balance. Yeah, Groundhog so, Month. Groundhog Year at this point. <laughs> oh, please no. <laughs> I don't want another 2020. I don't want it. I don't My want sister's it. like, what if 2020 is just a trailer for 2021? I was like, shut up. Dude, I know. I keep hearing people go like, what happened to coronavirus? Oh, that was season one. And like, <laughs> I don't like this TV show. Oh, I stop it. <laughs> and then the funnier thing, I, I always like the funny, the tiny minor, minor details of like, wait, what happened to the murder horns? I know, that's a huge plot. It was like, a filler episode. That was a filler episode. Yeah. Mine was just like, oh, that was a dropped plot line. Just... <laughs> that was director's cut. <laughs> it was, that was it. Oh, that was the uncut version. It's like the Lord of the Rings extended yes. cut. Yes. It's just 2020 extended cut with murder hornets. <laughs> Oh gosh. They tried to bring back that plot line because I read the news yesterday. They found another like murder hornet body, but it didn't gain traction. So hmm. apparently like the viewership like said no <laughs> to the murder hornet story. We don't line. like the murder hornet. But the thing is, is it was a real story and I it's know. still it's still ongoing. Yeah. That's the amazing thing, is it's still ongoing. They're still working on getting rid of the of the invasives because yeah. they're invasive. And they have a shot at it. Yeah. But that's as optimistic as we've got so far. Yeah. If you want the real, that's the actual story. Yeah. The scientists who are working on it, <laughs> the official word is, we're pretty sure. Like, yeah. that's the... <laughs> I know. <laughs> we got... Yeah. We're, we got a good shot. It's like, you know, it's like the underdog team yeah. in football where they... Because I know so much about football. And they, and they run <laughs> off. They run out in the field and they're like, we haven't lost a game yet. This feels like an episode of Parks and Rec right this now. This <laughs> What happened to the murder hornets? Well, we're pretty sure we got it. Isn't it just you? Did you fire your entire workforce because of coronavirus? <laughs> Gotta go. <laughs> yeah. Pretty sure. Just, we'll see. All right. <laughs> see you next year for 2021. For 2021. <sighs> season two. Oh, I want a nice year. Is the rioting and looting season two? Or is that the end of season? I think it's the end of season. Because it's, it's like, what's going to happen freaking next? Yeah, I think that's, it feels like the end of season two. I think okay. so. I think yeah. it's the end. Either it's the end of season one or the end of season two. I don't even know anymore. It's the end it's of season because the next season started with the Seattle Autonomous Zone. Because nobody saw that one coming. <laughs> So that's the season opener for yeah. season whatever. Nobody's going anywhere. It's, like, <laughs> it's nuts. What do you do? The world's crazy place. I should have. Oh, I should have had. I'm unprepared. I should have had some wine ready, ready to go. <laughs> Hello, welcome to the midday book club. I this definitely I am, feels like an alcohol uh, episode. Yeah. <laughs> Hi. Uh, this was what the this is what the intro should have been. It just been us with our half empty glasses of wine, just been like looking at the camera going hey it's not gotten any better yet but if here we are <laughs> next time if things haven't improved that's what we're doing that's what we'll do <laughs> yeah i might have some i might have a pipe i may have to go get a corn cob pipe i have one do you <laughs> i'll bring i'll bring mine and we can just sit there and just be like hey <laughs> we're like hair messed up <laughs> It's a slow descent into madness. I haven't showered in about three days. <laughs> that was by choice. <laughs> Who cares anymore? Oh my gosh. Okay. <laughs> anyway, we're talking about something in particular, I swear. Right. Um, we are, <laughs> we did read this book, I promise. Yes. Um, procrastination and everything. We did yes. read the book. Um, let's start with you. I started so generously last time. You've read this book before. Yeah. And so you got sort of this additional angle yeah at, a, at an already established yeah. one and it was awesome because i picked up little nuggets that i missed and i have two two things that stand out the most is my absolute favorite thing they are like 100 equal i'll start with the first one because it's a very small part of the book but it was when jane got into the um it wasn't an argument it's when that lady like lost her mind about animal rights saying like how dare you like, oh yeah try to campaign for that and she's like look like i'm not saying you know that it's bad we we owe so many animals our lives and because we owe them so much we should treat them with the utmost respect don't you agree mm -hmm. and so they found that common ground like almost instantly almost right away yeah and then the lady was like oh yeah you're right and to me that was such a profound way because jane like she talks I'm gonna see if i can find that while you're looking yeah she talks about all of her interactions with people and she's really good at just like she, like with the cab driver she's just like hey this is how it is and she understands that 
she personally is not going to change their mind. They have to change their own mind. And so all she can do is share her experience. And to me, I think that's the best way to just like find common ground. I, I thought yeah. to me, that is always the one that sticks out in my head the most. It's one of my favorite parts of the book. And then on equal um, parts of the book was the four year war, which like that could be an episode of its own entirety. Man, the four year war. So yeah. For those of you who haven't read the book, Four Year War is what she called, what Jane called um, when she was studying chimpanzee, uh, mm -hmm. chimpanzees in Gombe, which of course was like over the course of, I don't know, 25, 30 years yeah. altogether. But when she was out there studying, she witnessed like tribal warfare between yeah. these two these two groups of what used to be the same group yep. of chimpanzees. They had separated into two groups. Turned out to be a territory war yep. from what they observed, but um, but there was just, oh my gosh, gruesome stuff. Yeah, absolute and brutality it at its rawest form. Rawest form. Oh, yeah. I mean, you think about how brutal humans can be. It's not worse than that. Humans are definitely worse than chimpanzees. Yeah. But it was more um, just raw, I guess, yeah. is it, for lack of a better term. There was no... Well, she talks about the idea of the noble chimp, you know? Yeah. And I think that it's interesting. Like, we have this, like, fairy tale um, idea of nature when in actuality, like, there's some parts of nature that we still see within ourselves. And that's why it's important to study it. And my brain hooked on to, like, the four year war. It's a very negative part of the book, but it was so enlightening as far as, like, what's going on in the world because she talks about how the chimps have an ability to de chimpify the other chimps somehow. And it just, like, we're at yeah. one point where they were friends and now they're, like, beating the tar out of the other ones dechimpify yeah because she was talking about um how we humans tend to and historically this has mm -hmm. been the case time and time and time again where we've we've dehumanized each yeah. other the nazi regime is is one of the more obvious examples yeah. with the concentration camps and everything where we dehumanized each other and treated you know jewish people like they mm -hmm. were actual animals yep and it makes it easier to justify your actions if what you're doing doesn't apply to like another human yeah and it's it's that's like that's just human history right there like oh my gosh time i yeah. mean time and time again because you know we talk about the nazi mm -hmm. um concentration camps which is more recent and more yeah. easy to mm -hmm. i guess relate with but the i mean you talk about the terrors of and she brought up some of this mm -hmm. of mao and you know, not to, I mean, not to forget Stalin. Yeah. People talk about Hitler. Yeah. Some of the deaths that Stalin is actually responsible for trumps, I think, some of the deaths of, um, yeah, what his Hitler is responsible for in terms of actual raw numbers. Right. Which I is mean, not talked about as much, which is no. interesting. And I've but, always thought that was interesting too, but heck, we even see it today with China and the Uyghur Muslims too. They're doing the exact same oh, thing. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's not gone anywhere. And I think people think that, oh, we don't do that anymore, but we do it all the time. And there was that, is it that prison experiment they did where like, for some reason, like the prison guards were able to like in their head dehumanize the people they were told to quote unquote torture. I can't remember the experiment it was, name. It was in... Oh, this is going to bug me. But yeah, it was something to do with actual psychological conditioning yeah. that these guards were put through yeah. that essentially screwed up yeah. their whole morality yeah. so that they could effectively, yeah. I hate even using that word for this context, but effectively do the job that they yeah. were needed to do and treat people as if they were not human beings. Yeah. Um, God, can you imagine? I mean, like... We're not even talking about this directly right now. I know this is... We're talking about the book. Yeah. But, like, I... I mean, every time we that gets brought up where it's, you know... <laughs> I just can't come to... It doesn't make sense. I'm just... Mm -hmm. You know, how... How... I mean, I understand how. I understand psychologically because I've done a lot of reading and learning about psychology and mm -hmm. how... What leads to what. And I've gone through my own trauma. So I... And I've gone to therapy and stuff mm -hmm. and I've and I've learned different what makes certain connections so I can understand academically right what causes these things and people to become those ways you know people don't just become school shooters for right example, yeah overnight that's conditioned over a long time of unaddressed issues and unaddressed mm -hmm. issues that that then grow into other ones so like I get that part but it's still so hard for me to grip the horror 
of how human beings treated other fellow human beings mm -hmm. for completely not even legitimate reasons. Totally yeah. re like made up stuff. Yeah. You know? It's like, well, like we were talking about before the episode, it goes back to humans being emotional creatures before they're logical creatures. Right. And I think right. it's just like when you're caught up in the moment, I don't know. I mean, so here's here's an interesting little factoid. Anger um, or fear is regulated by a certain part of the brain called the amygdala. And when the amygdala is activated, it slows blood flow to the prefrontal cortex or the logic and reason part of the brain. So when we have like people who are on trial for like, murder out of passion i mean there's a biological basis for it and it's the same thing war crimes too i mean it's crazy it's not a justification for it but there is a biological um equivalent i should say you can map it you can map you can it. measure it yeah all right so uh those were my favorite parts of the book or yours uh you know my i, I have so many but there's yeah. there was one thing that i uh shared where she talks about, and I won't read it exactly, but she talked a little bit about how our how we observe things. I've never thought of it that of this way, but the way we observe things affects how we perceive things intuitively. Yeah, that's a good one. Which is fascinating. What page was that one on? Do you know? That one was earlier on. I think it was 70... I texted it to you at one point. That's I was right. like, okay. oh my God, Brie! <laughs> <laughs> It was really awesome because at the time I was actually reading a book that dealt with that exact same topic. It's it's so cool. I mean, it, it just talks a little bit about how we categorize something. And I'm sure I'll find it some other time. But we categorize stuff. Text. Yeah. Yeah. You look at the text. But we categorize things with our words. And that, therefore, affects our perception of that thing, right? Page so, 79, second paragraph. 79. Let's all turn to page 79 of our textbooks, please. Um, but yeah, oh yeah, yeah, here it is right here. So she says, it is all but impossible to describe the new awareness that comes when words are abandoned. One is transported back, perhaps, to the world of early childhood when everything is fresh and so much of it is wonderful. Words can enhance experience, but they can also take so much away. We see an insect and at once we abstract certain characteristics and classify it, a fly. And in that very cognitive exercise, part of the wonder is gone. Once we have labeled the things around us, we do not bother to look at them so carefully. Words are part of our rational selves and to abandon them for a while is to give freer reign to our intuitive selves. I love that idea that when we look at something like i'm looking at my coffee mm -hmm. cup outside of the camera here if i were to just look at that and not speak not even in, in my head but just maybe wonder more about different things that i don't know about then my intuition is then sort of baited yeah. out to existence more yeah. and you know and i was thinking about intuition it, this this is what amazed me about that particular mm -hmm. part of the book is it got me thinking i did a whole episode <laughs> on how we observe stuff. Yeah. Because if we observe things and our goal is to use our intuition more, you know, intuition is kind of, it's it's a right brain thing. Right. Whereas rationality is a left brain thing. It's very logic oriented. Mm -hmm. So I was just thinking about that idea. I'm yeah. like, oh, that's interesting because it's that must be then really difficult because we know from brain science mm -hmm. that right brain people have a hard time thinking rationally mm -hmm. and logically. A lot of times it's based on intuition and feeling and artistic right. stuff. That's where artistic people tend to be in. Mm -hmm. Right brain, very feelings oriented. Yeah. Not guilty. Um, and this, so we, we, have, <laughs> we have that. But then we have people who really are left brained and, you know, well, this is this way, therefore mm -hmm. do that. What could be, why is this so difficult for right. you? Um, right brain people and left brain people tend to have really, tough relationships yeah. and and i, I <laughs> ever do you know what i'm talking about brie i do is that <laughs> i married a, a human computer and which is funny because like most people think that i'm pretty logical i'm like no you do not yeah. understand my husband who is also named josh by the way so i need to like oh, clarify yeah. that yeah, real yeah. quick um but 
Josh, my husband, is like talking to an encyclopedia some days where I'm like, I just need you to just listen to me and just capture the emotion for once. It just reminds me there's this perfect commercial that is not on the air anymore. And there's this there's this scene, not to digress too much here, but you know, Stable Culture Podcast, we talk in tangents. I'm just going to make the theme song and just get done with it. But the <laughs> That should be a sticker. We talk in tangents. I'm going to make a sticker for this podcast. That Ooh. That. Anyway, sorry. Wow. The tangent within a tangent. Tangent. You heard it here, folks. <laughs> the idea was born on episode <laughs> book club number two. Okay. So there's this commercial that's perfect because it, it it's this it's a, a couple talking, mm-hmm. a man and woman talking, and you see them the cameras at their back. And some people might have already might have seen this, <laughs> but they the the lady's talking and she's like, you know, saying stuff like it's just this pressure. Mm-hmm. It just hurts so bad, and it's just. Oh, there's this pressure that I can't, I can't figure out how to deal with. And is, and I'm paraphrasing, of course, I just can't figure out this pressure. And if I could just deal with that. And he, he's looking and it, the camera turns and she's got a freaking nail <laughs> sticking out of commercial. her forehead. She's got a nail. How it got there. Nobody knows, yeah. but it's this, he's got this nail sticking out of her forehead and the guy in typical dude fashion, <laughs> this is a curse of, of, of all men is he's looking at the nail and he's like, He's kind of listening. And this is back to our listening episode, folks. Are you waiting for a chance to respond or are you actually listening? And he goes, well, you do have a nail in there. <laughs> and she's like, it's not about the nail. <laughs> I love that commercial. I it's forgot not about, about it. the nail. Stop bringing up the nail. And he goes, but if we just got it out of there, he's just like freaking out at him. You know, he's like, stop talking about the nail. And the message, of course, of the of the commercial itself was was the art of actually hearing your partner and, yeah. and talking about that. It's a beautiful commercial. It's a lovely commercial, but uh, <laughs> for some reason that reminds me of that because it, it's like looking past. Yeah. You know? <laughs> well, you know, come, okay, so this is kind of a tangent within a tangent, but when you sent me that that text, it made me think of immediately three things. One, the movie Arrival. Two, um, how the First Nations people talk in their language and how the Japanese talk in their language. Mm. So one of the rival is that entire movie was based on how language like changes your rea- perception of reality, which is one of my favorite movies. Um, have you seen it? No. Are you kidding me? Yeah, I'm not no. kidding. No, okay, listen, sorry. after this podcast, you are watching that movie. I cannot, I've seen it so many times. It's one of my I'm absolute sorry, favorites. everyone. I'm I so can't sorry. right now. This is a communication breakdown. <laughs> <sighs> Please so watch that movie. Okay, anyway. everyone down. Um, and if you look at like the First Nations people's language, they don't refer to a tree as a tree. They refer to it as the tree people. So in that very way of how they use their language, they are identifying in an abstract concept the thought that they, how they relate to that tree, you know, or that object, where it's not just an object. It is something imbued within like its own inherent, you know, importance. And the Japanese are kind of the same way. Uh, my husband Josh is learning Japanese right now, and he was like, "I'm translating all of these subtitles and stuff to me." Um, and he's like, "There's literally no English translation. It loses every single piece of meaning when you translate it to English." Mm. So we're talking about cultures that literally do not perceive your style of reality because they cannot because of the language that they use, and vice versa. Well, that's interesting. So yeah, we lose a lot. There's actual by... cultural bridges based yeah. on language. Yeah. That's so that's true. what I thought of when you sent me that text, because in, in a way it, it works for Jane too, because she's trying to explain her spiritual experiences and still finding like hard for her to explain because of something that she could only experience. Right. And, you know, there's certain things that words just fail at. Sometimes words do fail because words are man-made, mm-hmm. which is an interesting thought. Yeah. Um, and thank you for bringing me back in full circle here so the the she had to rope me back in yes so that's what it takes if you're gonna be my friend you need to learn that art (laughs) but they so they she does such an eloquent job at at making us think about just that is Mm -hmm. that um we need our intuition to think about that which is beyond words yeah and that's a fascinating thought if you really yeah. want to open it up because she talks a lot about her connection to her personal connection to spirituality mm-hmm. in this book, which is great to read about. But it, it is really interesting because she's talking about how, because she is very intuitive as a person. You read this yeah. book and you will definitely learn that she, 
she is very in touch with her emotional side, but in this very intelligent way. Yeah. It's not just a pure, oh, I'm an empath. It's like, it's yeah. not just that. It's, I think she's balanced both sides of her brain. She's very balanced. Yeah. I mean, you don't see someone who's a primate yeah. expert. Yeah. Has a PhD, has very well intelligently qualified as far as, you know, science goes. But she disagrees with a lot of old school mentalities yeah. within science, um, which are typically very cold and calculating. Yeah. And I mean, how often do you see a scientist? It's almost like have giving or having someone give you permission, a scientist say, hey, it's okay to like be in touch with your intuitive side. Yeah. In fact, well, I encourage it. It was her idea, yeah. apparently. I didn't realize. I knew she was such a big deal because I grew up with Jane Goodall. Yeah. But I didn't realize until reading this book that she was honestly one of the first, if not the first, scientist who was studying primates to come up with the idea that chimpanzees specifically, and therefore other animals, mm -hmm. um, feel emotion yeah. and actually feel things like pain and yeah. despair and happiness and love, or yeah. at least a version of it. Well, and it's, it's fascinating because she, the very, and this, this is what I me personally needed to hear is she didn't go in discovering that with a full-on education and i think a lot of people feel right, like they're right. shackled because they're not educated when in fact that couldn't be farther from the truth like i don't i think i mentioned this on the instagram post had she had a rigorous university education that she had wanted in the beginning would she have made the same you know observation probably not probably not yeah and this is another reason you know this is kind of a tangent I see a lot of young artists say, I want to go to art school. And my um, my personal experience with art schools and art teachers is sometimes that's very good for people, but for the most part, it completely stunts your creativity, completely, because you get locked in these, well, I can only do this style of medium this way. Mm -hmm. And then like styles are lost that way. Well, you see the same thing with music. Exactly. Anything artistic, if you're put within the confines, well, confines, period. Yeah it helped like yes to learn certain bits of discipline right that's it's great like for art i don't know what the equivalent to art would be for for this with music but with music it's te tends to be music mm. theory yeah music theory is very important to know right but if you go too strictly by the rules mm -hmm. you can actually lose creative ability yeah um over time which i think is what you're saying yeah it's really um, interesting my art therapist <clears throat> she told me once and it's I think it's very profound. She's like just have a sentence that says what would happen if I dot 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 when you're creating and it was just like a permission slip to do whatever the hell I wanted which was amazing because I am of the kind of person where I like like lists and systems. What would happen if I used peanut butter? <laughs> I mean everything's for this one. game. <laughs> I guess if you want um, but yeah, what is the <laughs> message you're going for? Yeah. Tastiness? I mean, squirrel art? Nuts. Hmm. What about them? <laughs> <laughs> it is a systemic expression of the squirrel oppression. Of the economic the downfall of <laughs> squirrel kind. <laughs> yeah. But, I, you know, I, I love that quote you sent me because of those reasons. Because it brought up a whole bunch of, you know, things that I have always wondered about. You know, I English. you ever want... And, and, and not to side us too much here, but I... I couldn't stop. That was one of those passages that you you yeah. approach in books where you have to you read it first the first yeah. time and you go, you you like look up from the page going like whoa, <laughs> yeah. and then you look back down. You have to read it again, and then you close sit the there book and think and about it, it for a second. Put the book aside. <laughs> go back to it. Read it some more. Yeah. That one was like that for me. Everyone has a different impact with different things in books. Yeah, you know that that passage might not have hit a lot of other people mm -hmm. in the same way. But just I, maybe it was what I was looking for. Maybe it's because of everything that's going on right now in the world. The fact that everything's on fire and yeah. we're just like trying to figure stuff out. It's very clear that a lot of us have issues with empathy and not being in touch at all with our intuitive right. selves. And that causes all sort of issues with communication and love and compassion yeah. and all that. And I've talked about that in, in, in length. Yeah. And maybe that's why that stuck out to me. Yeah. I don't know if she meant it to be as impactful to me as it was, but it was really I mean, impactful to me, like, you know? I had so many moments that you talked about when I first read this book. I was just like, read it, put it down, have a moment. Yeah. So like, I, that's why I think this book is such a rereader because it is relevant in every phase of life. Yeah. So yeah, it was a great quote. 
That's a really excellent favorite part, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you. I do try to read my books. So we've talked about our favorite parts of the book uh, in great length. <laughs> <laughs> like usual. Like usual. Um, and we are going to take a quick break. So let's just take a breather. We're going to come back and Jane, after all, the book is called Reason for Hope. Jane does quantify these in four steps. She believes that there are four main ideas that will latch us onto adapting to a good reason for hope and really adopting these reasons and uh, or this reason it depends on the person. But she has four philosophies that will help us through that. We're going to talk about that uh, about those in just a minute. Welcome back. Now we're going to talk about Jane's four reasons for hope, um, her very specific ones. The first one is the human brain. The second one is the resilience of nature. The third one is the energy enthusiasm that is found or can be kindled among young people worldwide. And four, the indomitable human spirit. So just to kind of sum those all up, um, the human brain, she's talking about human ingenuity and how easily adaptable we are and how clever we are. Like we are the most like excessive tool users in the animal kingdom. And you know, what is, what's is the saying? Like, uh, what breeds necessity? Like trial breeds necessity. And mm. right now we're faced with tons of trials. Basically challenge. Yeah, you challenge. Know, if, if you're challenged, that tells you what you need. Yeah. And like right now we are facing tons of challenge. I mean, she mentions like global warming and weapons of mass destruction and how we've used Oh our... man, she goes through the whole gauntlet. Yeah, everything. <laughs> She's like, this is where we've used our brains for not great things. And then, you know, this is how we can use our brains for good things, which, you know, I tend to agree, but like this is my personal bit of salt on that is emotions and intuition is using the brain in a way that is harmonious with those so mm. we have good intentions behind our brain because again we can use our brain to make weapons of mass destruction or we can use nuclear energy to power you know whatever however you feel about nuclear energy you yeah. know <laughs> The, the, That's a, that is an upcoming discussion yeah, the for fact sure. remains that you can use that technology for good or evil so Right. Um, the second is the resilience of nature. And I think this one was my favorite because there's a George Carlin quote that says like, Ooh, <laughs> I'm already interested. He's like, he's like, planet's fine. We're the ones who are fucked. Like, yeah. Yeah. That's, I totally remember that quote and I love it so much yeah. because I mean, that's so typical George Sorry, Carlin. Sorry mom for the language. I didn't say it. Carlin did. It's okay. <laughs> if you're hearing this, it's probably bleeped. Okay. Good. Thank you. <laughs> this is not the HBO version. Thanks. This is public television. <laughs> Welcome to PBS. This is the family version. But yeah, I love that quote because he's really right. Like uh, yeah. in the more famous words of our everyone's favorite um, director of chaos, uh, life uh, finds a way. You know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Thank uh, you, Jeff Goldblum. It's true, um, though. Like, I mean, the, the globe itself. Mm -hmm has been here a lot longer than we have. Yeah. In fact, if you look at geologic time, uh, if you look at geologic time, uh, the human beings have been here for a hilariously, like, blip Is it like compared... a minute or a second? Well, mm -hmm. so here's how I was taught this. So if you picture a whole football field, this is how long humans have been on the Earth yeah. compared to the Earth itself. If you look at the actual football field, and in terms of measuring time mm -hmm. from one side to the other, human beings have maybe done like a few inches. Yeah. And it's and, th and that's assuming that the entire length of the football field is like millions of years. Right. We're like maybe a few inches worth of time of that. And we've managed to make a, enough of an impact yeah. <laughs> to where we were. say that again. Yeah, we have a name for it. The Anthropocene yeah. became a name yeah. because this is the age of human beings. Yeah. Um, just to, to bounce off of what you're saying. I mean, the impact that we have based on our abilities 
the whole resilience of nature is mm -hmm. is was a really impactful section for me as well yeah. because when when she's talking about how nature's going to be fine yeah she she told that story of going and visiting a camp in auschwitz yeah i thought that was a camp in auschwitz she yeah. went and visited both auschwitz yeah. camps one and two and i think it was the other auschwitz camp i forget what it's called now but she goes to the other one that was kind of nearby and it was pretty barren mm -hmm. And she saw just in this sunlight, yeah. I could just see the scene. It's like a Disney scene where this <laughs> ray of sunlight came into the building and this little seedling was sprouting. Yeah. And she's like, if that's not a testimony yeah. to this, you know, resilience of nature, I don't know what is. Yeah. Here's a camp that was home to ima unimaginable suffering. Yeah. And up through the ashes yeah. comes this beautiful sprout, this delicate new sprout. My uh, sci-fi side was like, it's the quest plant. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not being very serious, but yeah, no, that was a good one. And then she talks about like how Chernobyl's come back and how like um, nature has an amazing way of like, well, heck, if there's been some amazing studies on even mushrooms and um, was it silkworms that are eating plastic now? Like, I heard something yeah, about that. Yeah, something crazy. Like stuff that we should absolutely be investing more time in. But the fact is that nature will find a way. Yeah. And nature doesn't really need us that much. Now, that's not to say we aren't responsible for nature and how we interact with it. We absolutely are. But it's like in every like dystopian future where nature tries to get rid of us through viruses and plagues and stuff like yeah. that. So it just comes down to like that harmonium, uh, harmonious thing of nature. And I think the First Nation people had it right because they had a creed where they only took what they need. And, and they gave know, back. And they gave back. And that's a huge part of living harmoniously with nature. But again, it comes down to nature will find a way. And yeah. it has. And it has multiple times. Um, even through mass extinctions, it somehow still made it. That's still not an excuse to behave poorly to nature, yeah. though. Have you um, heard of the? Have you got? Have you heard of the video game Horizon Zero Dawn? I love that one. Oh, oh man! My gosh. How? What a cool game! That was a cool game. Let's nerd out for a second on that. Okay. I just that just in that game. If you're not familiar with games, <laughs> <laughs> I forget who listens to these sometimes. <laughs> if you're not familiar with things like video games, <laughs> I am. And the, <laughs> there's this game on the PS4 called Horizon Zero Dawn and it's about this it's about it's based in this world that is it is post-apocalyptic mm -hmm. but yeah. <laughs> it's also but it's done in such a brilliant way the human race were nearly annihilated yeah really the entire all life on earth was nearly annihilated because mm -hmm. of AI yeah and not to ruin too much about the plot but basically humans have gone back to tribes mm -hmm. Um, and what's interesting is the tribes are completely mixed cultural. Yeah. There's different, different skin colors, different backgrounds that doesn't really matter so yeah. much, but because this is a post society world and you mm -hmm. find these memories, you find mm -hmm. these clues of it all the time. There's these ruins of huge cities. Um, and there's just like over, everything's overgrown in that, yeah. in that game where nature has just taken everything yeah. back and it is just this beautiful, scene then you can it's done so realistically well mm -hmm. um effects wise and this is why i'm even bothering to talk about a video yeah. game is that it really connects you to what it might look like yeah um just the, and it, it really does look like what we've seen nature do in certain mm -hmm. places at different ruins cool. oh it's claims. just such a brilliantly done uh game you should play it just because it's fun oh man do it <laughs> Robot dinosaurs, do it. Uh, that's like the coolest part. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so so the resilience of nature. Yes, yeah. um, we were talking about uh, the resilience. Did we get on to the next one already? No, we haven't. Okay. Uh, so number three is the energy enthusiasm that is found or can be kindled among young people worldwide. And this one is huge. Um, she has her Roots and Shoots program, which I think is adorable. But I'm mm -hmm. just even thinking to my nephew, who is so obsessed with whales and is like, he's six now, but when he was five... We didn't get to go on his birthday because of the coronavirus. We were going to go whale watching. And he told my sister that we need to set aside a day to pick up garbage on the beach, which I thought it touched my heart because we took him to the Oregon coast for a day trip. And I have this thing against garbage, which you know that quite well. I'm over there like <laughs> picking up garbage everywhere. And he got all excited about it. And just like that yeah. one moment, that's all he needed as a, as a small kid to realize garbage doesn't belong to the ground. And so now he picks up garbage. Yeah. Like kids are so 
I mean, duh, kids of the future. I hate to use that cliche, but they get really excited about nature. But they're pure passion. I mean, yeah. kids, kids get really into stuff in this very innocent way. It hasn't been bogged down yeah. with the realities of harshness of yeah. life yet. And and I don't I don't know. It's something to do with that where it allows kids to just focus full bore yeah. on like they don't worry about the complexities no. of things like depression and and uh, you know society financial weighing woes. certain stresses on you woes and things yeah. like that. They don't have that to worry about. Yeah. They have problem. Yeah. Solution. Exactly. You know, that's I love, I adore that about kids. Yeah. Like, well, there's this. Well, what? Well, that means we got to do this. Why are we hunting whales right now? That doesn't yeah. make sense. I'm like, yeah, buddy, I know it doesn't. I know, but yeah. we are. <laughs> and so, yeah, and just watching like my youngest nephew's obsession with worms, like his passion for worms. I ended up watching a worm documentary. I'm like, what is it about? Worms? Oh yeah, you. Said yeah, and now I'm like that. really excited about worms. And then I was like, I need to reread Dune. And then like they never mind. <laughs> Sorry. That was, a, that was a tangent right there. Let's talk about the sand dunes on, or like the sandworms oh, on Arrakis. Let's not. Um, well, the spice, you know. It must spice. flow. Uh, but the, the the interesting thing about this, uh, you know, young people is that this book was written in 1999. Mm -hmm. This is pre-Greta. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So if you don't know what I'm talking about when I say Greta, good Lord, get out from under the rock, people. <laughs> <laughs> You probably, like, you need more hope than the Man, Stable Culture podcast can give I you. Know. <laughs> but Greta Thunberg, of course, this was before her. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's this is almost like a prediction. I mean, yeah. she's she's been involved with young people with her program for a long time, yeah. clearly. Well, and I think she's, like, the forerunner because if you – I actually went onto her website to look at the Roots and Shoots program and how big it is. It's huge. It's huge so worldwide, been, isn't it? Yeah, she's been growing this for 20 years. And so, like, just her, like, insight to see that kids are the future – has already changed the future right you know and i that's why i love jane is just because her solutions are so simple but so profound yeah so and plus like like you said kids are just laser focused on like one thing well and they get so pumped i mean yeah i don't know i grew up watching bill nye the science guy dude it's yes. one of my favorite shows Same. and the, the cool thing about that if you haven't watched that those shows in a while it might be cool to dip back in. I, totally I don't know if did. Netflix still has it, but they, it, I know they did for a while. But. The, the newer ones aren't as good to me. I love the old ones, and I will. Yeah. I watched. The well, they, they had the they had the old ones. Yeah, they, and yeah. they had. But if you notice in the old ones, on these, you know the cool. You remember the cool like they side off to a little demonstration video. Yes. It was always kids doing those yes. videos, yes, and they were so good at it. If yeah. you look back at them now, the way they talk, I mean, mm -hmm. they're just done so impeccably well. Yeah. And you're like, these are kids talking about science topics mm -hmm. that most grown adults nowadays wouldn't even like I, I just feel like a lot of people know a lot less than they should about some pretty basic yeah. things and when it comes to kids being able to present those things yeah it's really interesting because if you if you think about it here i go again if you think about it <laughs> kids being Another able to sticker. explain scientific principles <laughs> really well like yeah. on bill nye the science guy and you're not going to listen to Greta about climate change? Yeah. Stuff like that. I'm not taking too hard a stance on that on this podcast. I tend not mm -hmm. to. But that's always been a funny thought yeah. for me. I'm like, well, hang on. I think... You know, like... Like, I wouldn't say our generation quite... And I'm not going to get into generation wars here. But I think a lot of older generations really underestimate young kids. Like, they're super surprised that they can even, like, spell their name anymore. It's like... Yeah. No, no, wait. Like, like kids are incredibly intelligent well i think that happens generation after generation yeah. after generation i think it's easy to just kind of assume that kids being that they're inexperienced yeah. being that they are naive sure it doesn't mean that through naivety you can't come up with really good ideas right. yeah sometimes it's naivety that can actually be a really good tool yeah. because if you are so innocent to where mm -hmm. you look at a possible utopian future yeah like those of us environmentalists who really mm -hmm. try and hang on to that dream I don't see that that should ever be condemned. Yeah. I think I think that kind of a mindset. Kids are all scientists because yeah. they're all looking at what's this, what's that, why does yeah. it work this way, why does it work that way. That mindset is what is so often lost in society. Yeah. It's it's us adults that are the ones going. Well, we just yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm cynicism impersonated, and it's like. That kind of stuff is not within children. That's right. not within the mindset, unless you've had an extremely traumatic childhood. Right. 
yeah which we're not really referencing yeah but it's it's i love that section i love yeah. that this is a section that she talks so heavily about young people yeah i agree and then finally the fourth one the indomitable human spirit and this is where jane like kind of erases all like the the sad and negative that she had to experience and it's just like these are the people going out there and doing amazing things like these are the people who are acting on what they're saying these are the people who against all odds have been like i'm gonna do it like the blind magician who gave her um mr h the monkey and um tons of other people who against all odds like the the guitar player who doesn't have an arm and the comb she bought from the leper who's missing like all of his limbs but made it with his teeth and just oh my gosh I, yeah what an incredible yeah how <laughs> so there is like that that the, the indomitable human spirit of like even in the face of like the worst challenges there is something that drives us forward always when you talk about just being human yeah it doesn't it doesn't really i mean there's that's saying more than i think is mentioned there i mean yeah. what it is to be human we could talk about that all day but when you are looking for what makes you you it starts as a kid yeah and if you're a young person in today's world mm -hmm. currently you're being defined by two key things what your parents tell you or whoever's raising you tells you and what society is telling you i do not envy young kids today with social media Oh my gosh, I don't even know what that's like. I mean, I, I cannot even imagine what that's like. I wasn't even allowed to have a MySpace until I was like 15. <laughs> <laughs> and then people got mad at you because you they weren't in your top eight. I know, gosh. And now it's just like, it's so pervasive. I noticed, I noticed, uh, noticed you put uh, Spencer on your top eight. Or spending six hours finding the perfect background with the perfect music combo. Mm, Ooh. That yeah. was good. When you went to a page, <laughs> yeah. I learned HTML for MySpace, you guys. <laughs> yeah, but I can't even imagine kids these days. And I just, it makes me sad for them, really, because you have so many sources immediately telling you what you should think. Um, yeah, and yeah. It, they don't really have a chance for self-discovery in the way that I think we did or the generations before us who are constantly out in nature. Like, did you ever get locked out of the house as a kid and all you had to do was, like, play with a stick and, like... A ladybug if you found yeah. one yeah we we grew up in many places but uh -huh. we uh we lived in the south for a yeah. number of years in alabama and we lived a decent kind of out in the boonies mm -hmm. as one does in yeah. alabama that's kind of most of the state and <laughs> they <laughs> yeah where y'all live down that way um further yeah. <laughs> down yonder way and it was it was always interesting because dad sometimes would be at work. Mm -hmm. um, he owned his own business, so he'd be off working. And so sometimes we'd get home from school, and maybe he wasn't home yet. Mm -hmm. That wasn't often. I don't want to make my dad sound like he was <laughs> someone who was rarely home. But whenever we would beat him there, which wasn't often, mm -hmm. sometimes the door would be locked, mm -hmm. and we didn't have a key quite yet. And we lived on maybe half an acre, mm -hmm. but we went outside, and yeah. we did stuff. Yeah. Sometimes it was boring stuff, but yeah. it was outside. I know. remember my sister and I had the biggest imaginations because we had to, because our parents, um, they just get sick of us. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I had a computer and my parents had to be like, you need to leave your room, go outside. And they would like literally shove us outside. And so my sister and I went on many adventures. Like I was always a horse or a dragon. Like that was like that was my it was thing. one of the two yeah or i had like i'm these... either a horse or i'm a horse with wings and fangs and fire yes. teeth or we would go on quote-unquote <laughs> scientific expeditions like there was where we lived there's like lots of like i think it was like mica or something like in the ground and so we'd go mining or we'd go on bumblebee expeditions where we would go like observe the bumblebees with our field journals and stuff like that oh sweet um i had a microscope that belonged to my dad from the 70s so it was one of those mirror ones where you had to like angle it right perfect oh, with the yeah. light and so i would look at like um slides that were very old i did eventually get terrified of those slides because at the time i didn't understand that they sterilized them so one of them broke and i was like convinced i was going to get anthrax i was 10 i didn't know any better <laughs> but um, and my parents were always like encouraging the outside life like we had a telescope so i because i was huge into astronomy and like world myth and i don't and i i don't like to like compare generations but i don't really see that a lot and so it makes me wonder 
I mean, how what what is that going to do to a young person's relationship with the world around them? Well, I think what you're touching on is is just a it is a very cultural difference with the generations. Yeah. Because what you're what you're saying is that when you grew up, when when people of our generation grew mm -hmm. up, we didn't have as much to distract us. Mm -hmm. Just technologically, yeah, we, we just weren't there. Yeah. Um, and we had some things, but it was kind of just happening. Yeah, we had dial Game up, Boy. <laughs> Game Boys that were still, yeah, we had Snake on our Nokia our, brick phones. Or and Gigapets when they were a thing. Gigapets. I still I had have the, mine. I had the Digimon ones. Oh, you did? I had the Digimon, uh, what's it called? The little pets, anyway, yeah. and you could connect them and battle them. Yeah, I had one of those. They were the they were those for boys. Yeah, that my, was it. How was marketed? <laughs> I still have my Giga Pet, my oh purple my one. It's a puppy. That's amazing. But the but the idea here is that when we grew up, we didn't have the opportunity to be distracted yeah. like people do now. Now it's like you don't even have to try. Yeah, there just is technology everywhere. Yeah. It's just it's like candy. It's just it's become as much a pillar as yeah. running water has. Yeah. And it's really a completely different cultural yeah. environment. Yeah. Um, which is what you're saying, if yeah. I'm not mistaken. Yeah. No, this is, uh, yeah. I don't know how I got from there from the indomitable human spirit. I think maybe it's like my subconscious pondering, what does that do to the human spirit mm. with constant flow of information where if you need something, you can just look it up. You don't have to go figure it out yourself, I guess is what yeah. I'm saying. Um, and there is some elements of innovation that are so naturally human spirit that if you take them away is the human spirit like a muscle do we have to constantly keep using it or is it something that's inherent in us i guess well that speaks to the intuition thing yeah. we we're mentioning i mean i think it similar to a muscle i mm -hmm. think that um if you don't try at least make the effort to use at least figure out how to use yeah. your intuition some people are so out of touch with maybe are so left-brained yeah and this happens actually pretty commonly where people are so out of touch with intuitive sides and empathy and things like that, that it is not even familiar to them. Yeah. It's so foreign that they've just written it off altogether Straight as that's not me anymore. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and that's not logical. We're just Vulcan. Yeah, that is not logical. <laughs> and I think, I think it is like a muscle. I think I th and that's one of the main things I try to focus on pretty commonly because if we are to, with everything that's going on right now, the world's on fire. It's insane. And it sounds pessimistic. I promise. It's just, I mean, you know, pretty much there's a lot fact. happening. There's a lot happening. Um, and with so much heat between mm. different groups of people and, and all kinds of different groups of people right now, this is not just about race issues. This is yeah. about all the other race is the thing we're talking about right now because of the death of George Floyd and mm -hmm. all the you know riots and protests and, and everything going on. But there's a multitude of other issues. Remember climate change guys? We haven't even talked about that on this show. Yeah, not so much. Remember, right. remember the, the entire, in you know umbrella of environmental justice we haven't even really expanded on that have we even talked about like the pipeline issues in america not yet don't you worry <laughs> okay <laughs> but the the reason i'm mentioning that is because how we how we approach improving those skills is what i truly believe mm -hmm. is where everything moving from here in history forward is going to rely on in our, on our personal self-growth and interpersonal skills. Yeah, absolutely. If we can't improve those relationships, how do we expect to build these towers and on what foundation? Yeah. I mean... <laughs> we can't talk to each other and communicate and synergize like Stephen Covey says. Mm -hmm. I don't understand how we're supposed to do anything as a, as a society. I took a walk recently just around just around the block and i was looking around and i was this was a particular day actually where i was working on my intuition i was mm -hmm. just trying to not talk out mm -hmm. outside i talk so much in my regular life and i was really just trying to stop and listen to that stuff around me and everything i was thinking about the observation episode that i did where i was talking about how important it is to learn how to become less auditory and mm -hmm. more take more in mm -hmm. and uh, less auditory, less verbal, more yeah. auditory. And I noticed a lot of things, but one of the main thoughts that I couldn't shake and I still haven't been able to shake is that our whole society as it currently exists was done with synergy. Mm -hmm. Like we had to synergize and be 
um, inter, we had to establish an interdependence with each other to build road systems, to build, I mean, the highway system of the United States is insane. It started in the early 1900s and only finished in the 1990s, you guys. Yeah. That took a long time. <laughs> and as we know it, it took 90 plus years or something like that. I did a report on this. I should know this more accurately. But the, That's right. Because you had me, is that the one you had me edit? I think so. It was okay. Thomas Jefferson. It was about transportation in America. Yes. Sustainability. I, you, yeah, you did yeah, edit that. I did. Hey, okay. hey, look at that. <laughs> Classmates. And so the whole thing of that is, you know, it took us a lot to develop what we currently have and know to be regular daily life in the United States. We have buildings that are made a certain way. We have development projects that are done a certain way. We have created standards for these huge development projects and skyscraper projects and city planning and all this stuff. We've done all this already. This is where we are at. These are the yeah. systems we're trying to fix and innovate better solutions for and do all this. But we did it because we worked together. Yeah. We didn't do it because we didn't have a foundation. Yeah. If we didn't have a foundation, we would not have modern society as we know it. We just need to fix that foundation and build it into something that is more built on interpersonal communication and hope Which, and positive thoughts. <laughs> like super segues into like we talked about how all ever the world is so overwhelming for people right now. Like what do they do? Like how do they how do they listen? How do they help? Like, I'm glad you asked. Yes. <laughs> I've got a solution, Brie. Let's hear it. It's from Jane Goodall. So I don't have a solution, but Jane Goodall does. And it's beautiful. It is so beautiful. She talks a lot about a lot of stuff in this book. But what I absolutely love about Jane Goodall, apart from everything else I've already mentioned, <laughs> is that she always is able to break things down and then finish up with a nice practical, oh, that makes sense, th yeah. thought. And so when we're talking about all this stuff, I think a common thought with a lot of us is, well, okay, so yeah, here's all this philosophy. What yeah. can I actually do, as you were saying? Yeah. So she says, it can be very simple. We can make a sad or lonely person smile. We can make a miserable dog wag his tail or a cat purr. We can give water to a little wilting plant. We cannot solve all the problems of the world, but we can often do something about the problems under our noses. We can't save all the starving children and beggars of Africa or Asia, but what about the street children, the homeless, the aged in our own hometown? And this is this is such a cool way to finish her book. This is in the last chapter, one of the very last pages. Mm -hmm. That's what I hope the takeaway would be of this episode of any sustainability topic for you guys, and it is for me often, is what can I do? Well, the biggest impact of what we can do is in our own hometowns. What, yes, there's big issues that are being thrown at us all the time. You know, we're, we're dealing with, currently, it's focused on race. Absolutely, we have to, very important issue. Very critical, crucial society impact mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> issue. <laughs> there's also all these other issues that are gonna come at us. But before we start thinking nationally, go the other way, think inside out create seeds of change, really focus on your hometown and think, what skills do I have to contribute? And if you're having a hard time even getting there, focus on yourself first. As we've mentioned many times in this podcast, if you are going to help instill change and inspire true, tangible changes in your community, you have to start with yourself. So once you've gotten there, and you want to impact your community, look and see where you fit. Just look and see where you fit. Or just ask your neighbor how they're doing. Ask we your neighbor. We don't even talk to our neighbors hardly anymore. And she breaks it down. I, I love how she says, you know, we can make a miserable dog wag his tail or a yeah. cat purr. Well, it's These like thinking of like things. the very last snowflake that starts the avalanche, basically. Yeah. Like, systemic societal changes starts with the teeny tiny changes that we mm -hmm. do every day. Yep. It's habits. It's little habits we make that, you know, it's that first step on a thousand mile journey. People think that they have to eat the whole pie at once, which is a total cliche, but no, you start with one forkful first and it has to happen within your community because what's the point if you change society, if your community is not ready to change with it? So well said, actually. And that's, that's such, that's really the central thing mm -hmm. there is, you know, how are you supposed to expect that which is around you to change mm -hmm. if you're poisoning the, the entire bunch? Yeah. Yeah. It's and not going to work. 
So start small. It doesn't have to be big. Big changes are often hard. Big changes are actually often unsustainable without the small work that goes in behind them. Amen so, to that. I mean, it, yeah. it takes the teeny tiny things that create the foundation on which we stand. And this is all about sustainability. To, so. This is all about sustainability. I mean, <laughs> yeah. we have to focus on these foundational aspects. And in sustainability, in environmentalism, I should mm -hmm. say, and this is a small critique I always tend to have for environmentalism, is it? it is very easy for many environmentalists to forget about this, that if we are going to really create these big changes and really push ourselves into these sustainable futures and build ourselves into people that default hope for, for positive futures, rather than becoming nihilist or cynical or distrusting each other in the government and things like that. If we are people who are focused on the betterment and the progression and the innovation of mankind, then we have to focus on small scales, tiny, tiny scales. And um, this book just does such a good job at helping you think about that. It doesn't really talk about it so much mm -hmm. in detail. So I have a nature reference. Okay. It's a, it's a, a parable, if you will. Once upon a time, <laughs> um, we had an aquarium and it went south real fast, like really, really fast, like algae overgrowth, everything, nothing we did fixed it. Mm. So we had to, we, I took the fish back to the pet store and we had to scrap the aquarium. Well, here's where I realized I went wrong. And so I started another aquarium. This time it's a beta fish. It's a lot easier for me to take care of, mm -hmm. but I realized and with any aquarium, any aquarium owner will know this, that if you don't condition the tank first, you're going to have problems down the road. So if you're not allowing the micro microflora and bacteria to colonize the tank, which takes about two months before you actually add fish, your colony is going to die. And so a lot of people skip that stage and then wonder why two months down the road, all their fish are dead. And then they try to attack it with, you know, additives and chemicals and, and stuff that by that point, the water quality, it's, it's gone. It's, it's too late. You have to start completely over. So let the microflora grow in your communities first. There's my, there's my parable for the day. I love that. Yeah. It's all microscopic guys. Start small guys. <laughs> yeah. Microscopically if necessary. Yeah. And, it's, and sometimes it's so true. that microscopic is within, you know, more than anyone, because this is like your thing that when somebody is hurting or if you yourself are hurting, you focus inward for some reason, the country, which is hurting is not focusing inward. We're focusing outward in a weird way. We need to bring it back in. Let the organism have a chance to heal first. Right. And then, then go after the problem because right now we're a giant wounded animal trying to fight a bear. Absolutely. It's not working. Absolutely. So on that note, I just, uh, I appreciate everybody who decided to participate and read the book with us if you did. And, you know, I thoroughly enjoyed this experience and, um, this will go down as one of my favorite books I've oh, read yay. in a long time. <laughs> I'm so it's, glad you liked it. I love the book and, and, uh, this definitely, it's going to be hanging out on my bookshelf for a pretty good while. Yeah, <laughs> so. Same same yeah so thank you all so much yes thank for you listening to the show it's been just a blast getting to talk about this book um and so if you want to know what book we're reading next sneak preview here yes i have to order my book still I uh, <laughs> so uh but the next book that we're going to be talking about is a book by kate rayworth from the uk and it's a book called donut economics this book has received, I wish I had it so I could show it to you, but look it up. Donut as in spelled like donut. Um, the talking, circle pastry. The circle pastry, <laughs> the delicious, delicious treat. Um, kind of a funky title, but she talks uh, extensively about restructuring our economic system to uh, systems that will less define linear systems and more define circular systems. And she never really mentions sustainable societies specifically but, but as people who study sustainability yeah, it's a particularly interesting because topic nature works in circular closed it does. systems that is so. what she does talk about yeah is she does reference how nature works cyclically yeah and that's how she believes we need to model economic systems so i am thrilled i'm really excited to, to get into one. that yeah, yeah that's going to be fascinating it's going to be a bit of a pace changer um we will always talk about loving each other and feeling compassion towards each other and you know 
we've never really abruptly said so, but we will sometimes talk about, because we have to, talk about the fact that Black Lives Matter mm -hmm. and how it's important to actually say it that way. Not going to get too much into that, but that's these types of things have to be brought up and talked about because if we don't talk about them, we never will. <laughs> yeah. So again, thank you again for tuning in. It's been lovely getting together with you guys. Thanks again for coming back by, Brie. Yeah, it's been so much fun. I can't yeah. wait for book two. That's great. I'm stoked. There's going to be many books to come. If you liked what you heard or watched, uh, remember you can find us on YouTube, Spotify, iTunes, Google Podcasts. You can find us on, what else are we on? What else are, are we on? on? SoundCloud, Stitcher. Thank you. You're welcome. All the things. Wherever you listen to podcasts, we're generally there. And make sure you like, subscribe. If you're on YouTube, ring the bell so that you know uh, when we're actually releasing episodes so you're notified of it. It's going to be you know more and more often. Right now it's bi-weekly. Might be little special videos here and there. We'll see. Um, but I appreciate you guys joining in. Um, please support the podcast however you can. Um, you can also go on patreon.com as well. Uh, patreon.com slash sustainable culture podcast and place donation if you'd like. But otherwise, this has been the second book club episode. I've been Jet. I've been Bray. And thank you so much for tuning in. Have a nice day, guys. <laughs> <laughs>